We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. And please welcome this week's comedians, each one of them perfect panel material, wooden and thick as planks. <laughs> they are Lloyd Langford, Zoe Lyons, Lou Sanders and Henning Vane. The rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponent should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth, or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Henning Vane. Henning is from Germany. You know, the country that didn't make it out of the group stages in the last World Cup. Uh, how, how, how about the one before that? <laughs> Uh, look, I know we shouldn't take pleasure in other people's failures. If only there was a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> Henning, your subject is holidays, periods of time during which work or study is suspended and people indulge instead in leisure and recreation. Off you go, Henning. Fingers on buzzers, everyone else. Every day is a holiday, somewhere in the world, which is why nothing ever gets done. <laughs> Lou? I think every day is a holiday, depending on your vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose depending on your vibe, no day is a holiday. You know, yeah, some people. For me, holiday yeah. for you. Ne not a never, holiday. no never joy, holiday. absolutely. Um, but but it is also true that every day yes. is literally a holiday somewhere in the yes. world. To pick some dates at random. Lloyd, when's your birthday? August the sixth, nineteen eighty-three. Uh, the sixth of August is Independence Day in both Bolivia and Jamaica. Uh, Lou, when's yours? Uh, 24th of November. That is Teacher's Day in Turkey, an annual holiday to celebrate Turkey's teachers. Uh, Henning? And they're all arrested now, aren't they? Funny. Uh, <laughs> May my birthday, April the 10th. Yes, that's Builder's Day in Azerbaijan. <laughs> um, annual holiday to celebrate Azerbaijan's builders. Uh, Zoe? 3rd of October. That's Tag der Deutschen Einheit, mm. commemorating the anniversary of German reunification in 1990. Does anyone want to come to my party? <laughs> <laughs> On the 24th of November. No, I'm, I'm going to do a big teacher's day oh, thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. I meant the other guys, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Holidays are not just for humans. Oh, no. In Indonesia, January the 8th is Insect Day, when all creepy crawlies get a holiday from being squashed. <laughs> the zoo in Tokyo closes every year for eight weeks to give the animals a holiday from the visitors. Lou. Absolutely true. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. I, thought I'd try, I thought I'd just try and wear a bit of confidence. <laughs> no, but it's a bit of an internet meme saying that it's true, but it's not. But what about the insects? That was, well, that was a separate thing. Well, that was, that was in Indonesia. Anyway, I want to do the insects one now. <laughs> do, do you want to venture a buzz on the insects one? No, because now I'm thinking from your attitude that... <laughs> no, go on, Carry otherwise on. you'll never find out. OK. That's not true, by the way. You'll find out at the end. <laughs> insects, true. They give them a holiday. OK, so you're buzzing for that. There we go. No, it's not true. Fine. <laughs> 
Can I uh, preemptively buzz and say that the next thing Henning's going to say is going to be true? <laughs> Interesting. A very good one. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> Japanese people look after their animals so well that even the stuffed ones go on holiday. Yes, that Did... is true. Yeah. Lloyd gets a point there because it is true Japanese people can send their stuffed animals on holiday. And Unagi Travel is the company that does it. It's a Tokyo-based travel agency that will take your teddy bear, doll or stuffed toy on holiday if you're too busy to do so yourself. They're bonkers, aren't they? (laughs) But all this was started by uh, feathered birds who sometimes do girls-only migrations to France, presumably to hit the shops. Usually the window. <laughs> Lloyd. Uh, I'm guessing that's true. Maybe like a female bird's going to France. <laughs> um, you're right, it is true. Well done. Yeah. Yes, some birds take, quote, girls-only holidays. Balearic shearwaters embark on female-only migrations to France over the summer, whilst males head to other locations for the summer period. Well, the birds aren't alone, of course, as 75% of French people take their holidays in France, thank goodness. (laughs) You can have too much of a good thing, though, and scientists reckon that we lose 20% of our IQ when we go on holidays. Lou. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> 25% lost, I think. Well, it was 20%, he said. But, <laughs> um, I'm on holiday! <laughs> yeah, I told that, you my vibe is holiday. That, that is true. Yes, according to research, <laughs> our IQs decreased by up to 20% after a two-week holiday. You're also more likely to get pregnant. That's just in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> How thick must you be after a gap year? <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's the end of Henning's lecture. And at the end of that round, Henning, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that 75% of French people take their holidays in France. And that means, Henning, you've scored one point. The Blarney Stone, which some 400,000 people have kissed for good luck, was named the most unhealthy tourist attraction in the world by TripAdvisor. Though in a recent update, it has been knocked off the number one spot by a door handle in Salisbury. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we turn now to Lou Sanders. As a child, Lou got a blue Peter badge for sending in a picture she'd drawn, despite the fact she'd actually traced it. Luckily, the presenter was too coked off his face to notice. <laughs> Lou, your subject is queens. Female monarchs or the wives, mothers or widows of kings. Off you go, Lou. Every year at Christmas, the Queen gets each of her staff a snow globe and inside each magical globe is a picture of Princess Diana's funeral. Henning. <laughs> 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 I don't think the content of them snow gloves is what Lou just tried to make us believe, but does she dole out uh, snow gloves? No. No, she doesn't. <laughs> Would no. be a nice gesture if she yeah, did. It's a, you know, it's a nice present, a snow globe, whether or not depicting a funeral. But no, she sends them Christmas puddings. Uh, stuff. Stingy cow. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, it, 
And in fact, she's recently swapped from giving them Fortnum and Mason Christmas puddings to giving them Tesco's finest ones. Stingy cow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, is it your accent then? Okay. <laughs> oh, that's me. Oh. <laughs> there are two Hennings. <laughs> it's uncanny, isn't it? I'll read the rest in the Henning Vane's yeah, voice. Yeah, please. Okay, the Queen. <laughs> the Queen killed Princess Diana <laughs> because of an argument over Harry Bowes. <laughs> it's really easy to do comedy in your voice. Yeah, I love <laughs> to understand what someone's saying. <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to the lighter topic of royal presents. For one birthday, the Queen received a gift of horse semen, which was worth around five thousand pounds. Cash money, not weight. Lord. I think that's probably true. It was like a really fast horse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in terms of... In t- yeah. In, in terms of racing, not that it was a, a premature... <laughs> I think that the semen of fast horses is more sought after than the semen of slow horses. I mean, that's, it, it was and, delivered by the, um, like the breeder of the horse, not the horse itself. Y- yes. <laughs> That is definitely true. For the Queen's birthday, horse breeder Christina Patino gave Her Majesty a session with one of her top breeding stallions named Big Bad Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Whose whose semen goes for £5,000 a pop. I don't know whether it actually makes a popping noise, but but yes, so she she received a consignment. And that's how Prince Charles was born. (laughs) It does answer that question, what do you get somebody who's got everything for Christmas? Yes. yes. Yeah. More horsey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one Christmas, the Queen's present included a CD-ROM of Now That's What I Call Music, Volume 38. Some washing-up gloves and an ethical refugee stripogram. <laughs> Uh, historical queens, well queens. Um, Queen Victoria was named after Victoria's Secrets, which goes a little way towards explaining why she wore crotchless underwear. Lloyd. I think maybe Queen Victoria wore crotchless underwear. You pervert. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is absolutely true. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm calling him a pervert because of something else. <laughs> um, like other ladies of the late Victorian era... Queen Victoria wore open crotch knickers whose separate legs were joined by a drawstring at the waist. Doesn't sound very Victorian, does it? Considering they were so buttoned up to go completely commando underneath. That's like, wow! That entirely encapsulates the whole hypocritical era, doesn't it? They were buttoned up on the outside and underneath it's all, you know, prostitution and self-flagellation. <laughs> Amazing well, days. Happy days. Well, not happy, mixed. 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 You'd be dead from tuberculosis at 12, but at least your undercarriage would have a good airing. (laughs) Yes. The Queen of Madagascar executed any of her subjects who appeared in her dreams. Uh, And the Queen of Angola had a nice big harem of men who, after a night of love, she often executed, which gives a new meaning to the phrase giving head. (laughs) Sorry. I think that's probably true at some point. There was a Queen of Angola who had a harem. You're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was a 17th century queen, Nzinga of the Ndongo and Matamba kingdoms of Angola, who, according to the Marquis de Sade, quote, immolated her lovers. 
At least she wasn't stingy. <laughs> Doesn't say. She might also have been stingy. But the thing is, if she was stingy, it's not the first thing people are going to say about it. <laughs> Thank you, Lou. And at the end of that round, Lou, you've managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel, which are that the Queen was once given for Christmas some washing-up gloves. Margaret Thatcher once gave her a pair of marigold washing-up gloves after spotting her washing up at Balmoral barehanded. And the second truth is that the Queen of Madagascar executed any of her subjects who appeared in her dreams. The 19th century queen Ranavalona, the cruel of Madagascar, <laughs> was married to the heir to the throne. But when he died young and without an heir, Ranavalona systematically captured and killed most of the relations, including the rightful heir, and all her political rivals. Such was her paranoia that she was even known to execute any subject who appeared in her dreams. Another mean queen was Queen Henrietta, wife of Leopold II of the Belgians, who kept a pet llama that she taught to spit in the face of anyone who stroked it. <laughs> um, and that means, Lou, that you scored two points. Alexander Graham Bell committed a social faux pas when he touched Queen Victoria's hand while demonstrating his invention, the telephone though she blushed even more hotly when he asked if she'd like to give Prince Albert a little ring. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Zoe Lyons. On 2009's Pink List, Zoe was voted 81st of the 101 most influential gay or lesbian people in Britain. This year, she managed to rise even higher, certainly to over 101, as I couldn't see her name on the list at all. <laughs> Zoe, your subject is teeth. Hard, white, enamel-coated structures in the mouth used for biting and chewing. Off you go, Zoe. It is often said that teeth are the windows to the soul. They can reveal more to us about a person than their eyes or their bank balance. And as the old saying has it, a woman's crowning glory are her teeth. Helen of Troy had only one tooth, but it was a proper cracker. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd. I think teeth can reveal more about a person than their eyes. Which is why when they find corpses, they often identify them by teeth rather than eye. Oh, oh that's an that's interesting. And when they go and sell horses, you always look into a horse's mouth, don't you? you I don't look, look into the horse's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's not. This is, wasn't one of the truths we were given, Lloyd. And I think, in general, the eyes are, are seen to be more revelatory of mood and personality. But it's certainly true that in an air crash scenario, <laughs> it, <laughs> you absolutely can't beat dental records. <laughs> but then, I suppose that's a point where someone's mood is self-evident. <laughs> um, It'd be slightly elation. weird, Lloyd, if you went on a date and just stared lovingly into their teeth. <laughs> yeah. If the person is dead, they're not really a person anymore. They're an object. So, in a sense, the teeth aren't revealing anything about the person. They're revealing something about a former person. OK, I apologise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just working it through. So, I think, on balance, I won't give you a point. I mean, you can tell the age well from looking at people's teeth. Or passport. Unless not these days, because they've all left them redone, don't they? Yes, that's You true. haven't had yours redone yet, have you? Yeah. That's what no. I like about you. <laughs> Thank you. That's... <laughs> That, thank you. I'm, I'm going to make that a compliment. Um, yeah. No, no, I haven't had them done. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> They're still all wonky. 
Women in Aztec communities used to extract their healthy back molars and wear them on a necklace so that possible suitors could check out all of their gnashes. It would certainly explain the charming South American boys chant, get your teeth out for the lads. <laughs> Henny. I mean, that is so really got to be true because you just couldn't make that up. Ah, uh, well, Zoe can. <laughs> <laughs> book, The Language of Teeth, I discuss how the colour of a person's teeth has a profound significance. For example, in ancient Rome, some people whitened their teeth with quicklime, some with pig's blood, and some with urine. Lloyd. I think some of the ancient Romans whitened their teeth with um, urine. You're absolutely right. They skillfully avoided the pig's blood and the, uh, the quicklime and went straight for the urine. Because he does that in Cardiff as well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> he knows it works. <laughs> yes, Romans used urine as a type of mouthwash to whiten their teeth and Spanish urine was particularly prized for this purpose. <laughs> An 18th century way to treat toothache was to tie a dead mole around your neck, although a better way to take your mind off the pain was to tie a live mole around your neck. (laughs) (laughs) Henny. Soddy, the first bit about the mole. (laughs) You say again what I've buzzed in for? (laughs) The the first bit about the mole was an 18th century way to treat toothache was to tie a dead mole around your neck. That's exactly what they used to do. (laughs) It is exactly what they used to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Until as late as the 18th century, moles were considered popular cures. The wearing of a dead mole around the neck was said to cure toothache, and they were commonly hung around the necks of babies to ease teething pains. The otherwise rather gummy Ecuadorian dart toad has but one tooth right on the end of its large tongue. The teeth of a lobster are in its stomach, and I'm told that the llamas have a special set of fighting teeth used to bite off other llamas' testicles, which is a pretty dirty way of fighting for a Tibetan monk. (laughs) Henny. The one with the tooth on your tongue. No. Oh, well, that was good. Lloyd. The special testicle biting teeth. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes. Adult llamas have a set of six sharp fighting teeth. They can rip all the way down to the bone and have been used to castrate other males. That was my worst ever visit to a petting zoo. <laughs> <laughs> You have, statistically, a 36% chance of forgetting your toothbrush when you go on holiday. This was a problem from Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space who forgot her toothbrush and had to make do with a small hairbrush and a tube of concentrated peppermint-flavoured creme fraiche. Lloyd. Did the first woman in space forget her toothbrush? You're absolutely right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yes. I, is Lloyd psychic? I think Lloyd's psychic. I think if he was psychic, he'd be getting more right than this. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's the end of Zoe's lecture. <laughs> At the end of that round, Zoe, you've managed to smuggle one truth, which is that the teeth of a lobster are in its stomach. And that means you've scored one point. In the 18th century, an English dentist pulled out a tooth by tying it to a piece of catgut, attaching that to a bullet, and firing the bullet from a gun. Oh. 
And hey presto, one cured toothache and one dead receptionist. <laughs> it's now the turn of Lloyd Langford. Lloyd won Celebrity Mastermind with the specialist subject of blues legend Robert Johnson. An obscure entertainer, not widely known in the UK, Lloyd is a stand-up comedian. <laughs> Your subject, Lloyd, is ants. Very small, industrious insects that live underground in large colonies. Off you go, Lloyd. The largest collection of ants in the world is housed at Penn State University's Department of Bugs and Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the second largest is currently surrounding a dropped calippo on Skegness Promenade. <laughs> a person that studies ants is known as a loser. <laughs> <laughs> ants are found on every continent on Earth. An average size... Oh. Zoe. I was going to say, it's not true, because you wouldn't have them on Antarctica. Antarctica! Yeah. Oh. As you yeah. have rightly concluded, there yes. are no ants on Antarctica, Antarctica despite, despite the, the name. name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little mantra. All together now, there are no ants on Antarctica, Antarctica despite the, the name. name. Cheers! Yeah. <laughs> and from now on, we can call all the other continents Unicornica. <laughs> Lloyd. An average-sized colony of 344,000 ants has roughly the same brain power as a human being, though I speak from bitter experience that you shouldn't let one replace you at your driving theory test. <laughs> the largest... Henning. Is there on average 340,000 of them in the colony? There is, yes. And more than that, it has roughly the same brain power as a human being. So mm. you get the point. Well done. <laughs> the largest known ant is Ant McPartlin. <laughs> <laughs> a Bolin ant can live for two weeks without its head. Zoe. I like to think there are ants that can live without their heads. Well, there is no such thing as a Berlin ant. Oh. So that's not true. I don't know if others can live without their heads. You'd hear about them, and they just grow another one. I think in growing another one terms, the head's the difficult thing, isn't Probably. it? Probably. <laughs> Worms can, can't they? It's, I said, a, myth, it's a myth. Yeah, because oh, yeah. I tried it a few no, times. <laughs> you don't get two worms, you get no worms. Oh, what if you pull a worm if in half? If you cut yeah. a worm in half, you get no... Well, I know get... that's true of dogs, but I'm not trying to... Ants are like bus drivers. They always wave to one another as they pass. Yeah, no. that's true. It's not true. Right. No, they, don't, yeah. they don't travel much. You're not going to say, oh, I haven't seen you. <laughs> what, so you're up. not saying hello to your neighbours then? No, I'm Everyone goes, oh, rude bastard, moved in there. <laughs> I don't say hello. People in London don't say hello to each other. That doesn't work at all. Nothing would get done. <laughs> Imagine that, Oxford Street every morning, morning, morning. It would be deafening. <laughs> uh, unfriendliness is the key to cohabitation. <laughs> And I, you know, and I, and I include within a marriage. <laughs> Ants will not cross a chalk line, which is the main reason that they will never truly excel at tennis. <laughs> Lou. Now, I do think the chalk line is true, because you know how salt and slugs chalk and ants, yeah? You're absolutely right. Yes. Salt and slugs chalk and ants. <laughs>
Yeah. Antelope is what young ants do if they can't get permission to marry. <laughs> a tropical ant tastes of pineapple can snap its jaws together at a speed of 233.36 kilometres an hour and also secretes a toxin it uses to drug and control tree frogs. Zoe. I'm going to go for the snappy jaw thing. You're absolutely right. Yes, the tropical trapdoor ant closes its mandibles at speeds of up to 145 miles per hour, which biologists believe is the fastest self-powered predatory strike in the animal kingdom. In 1999, Joan Murray was skydiving in North Carolina when her parachute failed to open and she crash-landed on a mound of stinging fire ants. Their stings kept her heart beating and saved her life. She was found shortly afterwards by a bear. (laughs) Penny. There was some incident where someone with a parachute fell into some pile of animals and then they were stung and that way kept him alive. I think you might be remembering this very incident, Penny. (laughs) this This is true. Yes, when both of American Joan Murray's parachutes failed to open during a skydiving jump in 1999, she crash-landed at a speed of 80 miles an hour into a nest of more than 250,000 fire ants, nearly all of which attacked and bit her. Each toxin-filled bite causes near-instant pain. When she was rushed to hospital, doctors determined that the repeated stings had actually shocked her heartbeat and stimulated her nerves, keeping her organs functioning long enough to keep her alive and had therefore ultimately saved her life. What a day. (laughs) Adamant's real name is Stuart Wasp. (laughs) Alien ant farm singer Dryden Mitchell claimed he could only get his vocals right for his new album by sprinkling cayenne pepper on his testicles. Listening to the album itself induces an identical sensation. (laughs) Thank you, Lloyd. (laughs) And at the end of that round, Lloyd, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that alien ant farm singer Dryden Mitchell claimed he could only get his vocals right for his new album by sprinkling cayenne pepper on his testicles. (laughs) Um, And that means, Lloyd, you've scored one point. A survey found that six out of ten people don't know which one is which out of Ant and Deck. Well, Deck is the one on the right, and Ant is the one undergoing treatment for alcoholism. (laughs) Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus four points, we have Henning Vane. In third place, with minus two points, it's Zoe Lyons. In second place, with minus one point, it's Lou Sanders. And in first place, with an unassailable five points, it's this week's winner, Lloyd Langford. (laughs) That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Zoe Lyons, Lloyd Langford, Lou Sanders and Henning Vane. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4. On BBC iPlayer... I've identified a dangerous criminal. 